wrapping up today a sermon series on longing and what we long for in our lives. And to preach that today, we go to the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph went up also from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, And laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things in her heart, pondering them. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard, as it had been told to them. The reading of God's word. So let's recap the story a little bit. We know this story, at least we think we know this story. An angel has come to this young girl, Mary, betrothed to Joseph and said, ah, you're pregnant. Mary goes to the angel and says, I don't know if you know how this works, but this really can't be. But the angel says, no, you're pregnant. You have this wonderful gift inside of you. Although it can't have felt necessarily like a wonderful gift, she runs off to be with her some kind of cousin or aunt, Elizabeth, to be with her for some time. She's got to go tell Joseph what's happened. And Joseph's got to try to believe this story, right? Now, Joseph, I didn't do anything. Angel came to me and told me. And that excuse has never worked other than this one time. And it only worked this one time because an angel came to Joseph and said, no, 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 this is something that I'm doing in this world. Mary and Joseph have then to be counted for the census that the Romans were putting on. And Joseph is of the house and lineage of David. He's a family member way, way down in David's line. Which means even though he's living and working in Nazareth, he's got to go to Bethlehem for this count. So they go 
While they were there, the text says the time comes for her to have the baby. In all the movies, she's like, her water breaks on the journey, right? She comes running in, this big pregnant Mary. But if you read the story carefully, it says, while they're there, the time comes. Which means they got there before the time came. They were there and settled in and ready for the baby to come. There are at the same time shepherds in the fields staying up protecting their flocks. This is why we know that Christmas was in no way in December. Because even in Israel in December, it gets cold at night and you wouldn't be out there with your flock. You and your flock would come into somewhere so that you would be protected from that cold. These shepherds smell like the sheep that they are taking care of. They probably didn't have a lot of time to shower. They didn't really shower in those days, right? You didn't worry about it. You were a shepherd. And a shepherd, you didn't really have a place in the town. Your place was with the sheep. This was a special area for sheep, by the way. Bethlehem actually means, it's two words, Bethlehem, house of bread or house of food. Bethlehem is where David is from, right? We know that. And David was a shepherd. And the shepherds in Bethlehem raised special sheep, not just any sheep. These were the special sheep that were used for sacrifices up in Jerusalem. So this is a big, important job to be a shepherd, to be these particular shepherds. And yet they're still just shepherds, like being the janitor at a really important building, right? You're still the janitor. You're still kind of low, but you're an important low person. Okay, so King David, the shepherd on these very hills, they're hanging out like they had so many evenings. And suddenly, an angel is before them. And they're kind of in shock. They're afraid. Actually, every time somebody sees an angel, they're afraid. It's never immediately thought of as a good thing. You're worried when you see an angel. Now, as I studied this text this week, there were two things that I noticed in this text that I have never noticed before. Two things about this incident with the shepherd that in all the times I've preached this text, talks about this text, I have never, ever seen these two things. Okay? So I want to reflect on those, and they come right here in the story as this angel shows up to the shepherd. First of all, I have already always assumed, and in every movie and in every card you've ever seen, assumes that the shepherd, or that the angel is shining. Right? We get this bright angel. But that's actually not what the text says. If you look at the text again, what the text says is, the angel shows up, and what shines around them? The glory of the Lord shines around them. The angel isn't bright. The glory of the Lord is bright. So what in the world is the glory of the Lord? Well, this is actually a really important um, really important phrase. It's used about 350 times. Uh, There's 350 references to God's glory in the Bible, 50 in the Psalms. It's a major theme that we don't tend to understand. The Hebrew word is kavod or kavad. means heaviness, weight, worthiness. It can refer to wealth or reputation. It's like a beauty or a quality that is special but hard to describe. You ever met someone that's just kind of heavy? Like you ever have a person in your life, maybe it was a grandfather, maybe it was a teacher, that when they spoke, you just paused and listened because you know something weighty and important might come out of their mouth? That's kavod. That's glory. 
That's, that's this sense. It's even used in the Bible of people too. That they have this sort of weightiness in who they really are that you can see and feel from outside. If you want to know glory, another good reference for it is in art. In art, whenever they want to portray glory, how do they do it? Anybody know? It's called a halo. It's a particular art form to describe holiness or really to describe glory. That they have a weight, a holiness to them that they, that's, that's put as a halo. It's, it's visually, it has its own art reference. Glory. The Greek word is doxa, from which we get the word doxology. It also can mean praise. Also means opinion or reputation. When we say the glory of God, what we mean is everything God is, everything God has ever done, everything God will do, everything about his person. And the glory of God in the Bible sometimes shows up physically. Do you remember Israel traveling through the desert? And at night there's this pillar of cloud. And, or, in the day there's a pillar of cloud, and at night there's this pillar of fire. When they build the temple, the cloud comes and rests in that place. Whenever the cloud was there, it was expected that at certain points, Moses would go in and be in God's presence and speak to God. And if you remember in the Old Testament, really strange reference, Moses would come out with a shiny face. In fact, his face would be shining from being with God so much that it intimidated the people. So Moses would spend this time with God, getting the Ten Commandments, getting instructions for where they're supposed to go, and he'd have to wear a veil coming out of there so that he didn't scare the people. It's a little weird. I'm not sure that a veil would really help me. But, but when people saw, it's like when Moses got into the glory and the presence of God, it was so strong on him that it continued to shine for weeks later. And whenever people get caught up in the glory of God, just like when they see these angels, there's a fear and intimidation. The Psalms tell us that the earth is filled with God's glory. That whenever you see a beautiful sunset, whenever a baby is born, whenever you see these special moments in life where you just understand that there's a weightiness, there's something behind what you're seeing that's bigger than that moment. That's the glory of God. It's said that the glory, that God will come in glory when he returns. That's the phrase that gets used often in the prophets. That God's coming in glory. Someday God's going to return and we're going to see him. And we might be a little freaked out. Because we're going to suddenly be in the glory of God. The resurrection is the glory of God. When Jesus is ascended, it's this special moment where suddenly the disciples see the glory of God. When Stephen is stoned in Acts 7, he looks up to heaven and he sees the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Glory is this awesome, hard to describe thing about God, this weightiness, this meaning. And what the text says is not that the angel is shining. I've always thought that. I've never read this the same way as I did this week. But what the text actually says is the glory of, the God, of God shone around them. What that means is like Moses' face, these angels had been in God's presence for so long that the glory was on them. And when they were in front of these shepherds, the shepherds were freaked out because all of a sudden, bam, they are in the glory, the presence, the weightiness of who God is. 
When's the last time you were caught up in the glory of God? When's the last time you were shiny like that? I think we long for that. I think deep down in our lives, we were made to glorify God and to bear witness to his glory. And it doesn't happen very often in life that we really get into the glory of God. But I'm convinced it happens more often in small ways than we realize in a beautiful sunset, in a coincidence that's so special it brings this certain meaning an event that happens to us where suddenly we get this feeling like God really is for us and not against us. Or we have these moments in worship. We, we had this decorating of the tree of remembrance last week. And a lot of people were very emotional in that. I didn't get to see it because I was sitting over here and we were kind of decorating over there. But a lot of people thought that was really emotional. Part of that is emotional because we're remembering people we've lost. But part of it's emotional because in some way that's, that's a prayed over event. And this special moment where we feel God's presence in a new way. It happens more often than we pick up on. But sometimes we're too busy. The angels aren't shiny. God's presence is shining off of them. And the shepherds freak out. Now, this brings me to the second point I have never noticed in this text. Maybe you have, but all the times I preach this, I have never noticed this. Did you ever notice that the, the angel does not tell the shepherds to go see the baby? I have never noticed this before. I always kind of assumed in my head the angel comes, tells them, go see the baby. But if you read the text carefully, the angel does not do that. The angel tells them where to find the baby. Here's what's going on. Here's where you'll find the baby. And then more angels join them. They start singing and they leave. And these shepherds kind of look at each other. And they say, we got to go see this. We got to go see this thing. The angel assumes that when the shepherds hear what's happening, they're going to have to go see it. They're going to wonder. They're going to wonder what's going on. They're going to have to go because they can't sit still. Why does this work? How does the shepherd know? Or how does the angel know? They just got to give the address. Prime the pump a little bit. And these guys are going to want to leave. They don't have to order. They don't have to ask them to go. They're going. The angel knows they're going to be filled with wonder. Have you ever, been felt, have you ever felt wonder before? A feeling of surprise mingled with adoration. Seeing something beautiful, unexpected, unfamiliar, unexplainable. And you just got to go see it. You just got to wonder. Think about it. What's going on? What, how does that work? You got to ask questions about it. The word wonder is most often in the Bible used for Jesus. When he does a miracle, it's called a wonder. But places like this also talk about amazement or excitement that comes. These shepherds hear about this baby and they're filled with wonder. We got to go see this. We got to go look at this. We got to go check this out. So they go and they see the baby and they're excited and they start telling everybody what happened. And you know what the text says then? Everybody else is filled with wonder in the text. Everybody else is filled with wonder at what they say about the wonder that brought them there in the first place. When is the last time you really experienced wonder? 
I'm convinced this, this is something we want. That we want to, be, to have wonder and excitement. But so often we miss it in the routine and the busyness of our lives. A couple weeks ago I flew to Nashville for a conference. And I've flown, I don't know, nine or ten times now. A few times this year. But I'm still always amazed by it. Right? The feeling of being pushed back in your seat. That moment when you lift off. That moment when you clear the clouds and you're above and you see the dark blue sky you can't see from the ground the same way. I'm still always in, in awe of that. And there's always like one or two people on the plane, like a kid, who's never flown before. And that kid is really excited about it. But most everybody else on the plane is ready to be done with this before we even get started. They're playing their phones, they're doing their crossword puzzles, they're doing everything to not enjoy what's actually happening. And I always think, we're in the sky. We're above the clouds. Let's get excited about this, people. Let's look out the window. But everybody closes their window because they can't see their screen. What happened to wonder? What happened to getting interested in something and wanting to learn about it and reading books and watching specials on it and asking people about things? I'm convinced this is the biggest difference between how adults and kids experience Christmas. My kids experience Christmas, they experience everything with a sense of wonder and anticipation. What's going to happen? Why is it going to happen? We took them down to Ogilvy, Ogilvy, however you say it, different people say it different ways. Have you been down to Ogilvy Park, down in Wheeling? And they, they have the Festival of Lights you can drive through, and there's just... It's one of the biggest light shows that you can go to in the country. It, it's awesome. It was a lot of fun. And so we went this week, and my kids were just... And, then, and they were yelling. They just tried... And I could tell right then the difference between adults and kids. Because they're like, wow, look at that. And I'm saying, quiet down. You're hurting my ears. <laughs> the different experience of this Ogilvy Park, right? And the car in front of us has a sunroof. And they opened up the sunroof, and they had a daughter, must have been nine years old, and she pops up and rode through Ogilvy Park like this. And she just, she just went back and forth. It was like she was robotic. She like couldn't move other than to try to take in what she could see. What happened to wonder that we had when we were children? Somewhere in our teenage years, we lose it. I blame algebra. No, I, I think as we get older, we start figuring out why stuff happens, right? We see behind the scenes of the movie. We start to learn the science behind stuff. And, and somewhere along the lines, we stop wondering what's going on behind the scenes because we think we figured it out. It's probably true with God, too. We get to know God. We know our hymns. We know worship. We know how Christmas works. We know we're going to sing Silent Night. We know at least the first verse of all these carols, if not the fifth one. But if you think you have one out of reasons to be in wonder and awe of God, you are sorely mistaken. I think there's something deeply theological about wonder. That God is so infinite and he's so big and he does so much that you are never going to figure him out. And he's always going to surprise you. And there's always going to be wonder. I got wonder this week when I went and saw Star Wars. Anybody else see Star Wars? I didn't dress up like Chewbacca or Princess Leia or anybody. I didn't. I'm not that weird. But I did go see it, and it was awesome. 
But it's like you get excited, right? There's not much we get excited about anymore. There's not much like Star Wars. There's not many things we get excited about. Where's our wonder, our excitement? Where's that part of your life that you need to know more and you can't wait to see that again? And I'm convinced these two issues that I've never seen in the shepherds before are related. I'm convinced that glory leads to wonder. That when you experience the glory of God, it causes you to wonder. Causes you, just like it did for these shepherds, just like the shepherds were able to pass on to the other people there, causes you to wonder. Now, wonder is risky. You start wondering, you might learn something about your life you didn't want to know. You may have to change your opinion. And the glory of God is very risky because if I start really experience the glory of God, I start realizing how much I am not Him. But I think that's part of Christmas. And I wonder if our faces ought to be a little more shiny and a little more smiling. I wonder if the wonder that we should be feeling as we see this Christ child, this Christ child who is God's wonder in the flesh, God's glory in the flesh, I wonder if as we see Him on Christmas, we ought to shine a little brighter so that other people might see that shining in us. Christmas is a great time to glow. As we light our trees, we light up our homes. May our faces be lit by the glory of God and the wonder we feel in that presence. Let us pray. Lord, fill us with wonder and awe. Let us experience your glory, that this may be a special Christmas for us. In Jesus' name. Amen.